Hello everyone, and welcome to Theotable, where angels dancing on the head of a pin can change your life. I'm Aiden, also known as Celtic Gothic Fire. I'm Jarek. I'm Julie. And I'm Maria. So, there's been a lot of news in the last month about priests in the Catholic Church. Most notably, about a month ago, there's a report about Cardinal McCarrick, who's a high-ranking American cleric, um, and he was then deposed because of credible allegations that he had abused an altar boy many years ago, as well as multiple allegations that then came out of his abuse of seminarians in the years following. And then additionally, only a few weeks ago, a Pennsylvania grand jury report was made open to the public that detailed over 1,000 credible cases of abuse by over 300 priests in six Pennsylvania dioceses over the last 70 years. So we've, in light of these horrible, horrible revelations, we feel it's our obligation to talk about this today. And we want to start by going back to the basics. And if any of you guys have a Bible, please open to Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 through 13. Do y'all remember Jesus flipping tables? In Matthew chapter 21, it says Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Today, we want to lead into this with righteous anger, what most of you guys at home are feeling right now. If there was ever a time to be flipping tables, Folks, now is the time. We should be outraged at what happened to innocent children, what happened to the church, the desecration of the church. Um, and to flip a little earlier in Matthew, to go flip in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, Jesus also says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck, and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So, inspired by these two Bible verses, we want to address the clerical sex abuse scandal with you all today. Yes, yes. There is a particularly, speaking of scriptural passages, and I think those are very good for meditation in these days, um, there was a very, very appropriate reading, I think, from the Daily Mass readings yesterday, uh, Jarek, I think you have pulled up from yes. Ezekiel about shepherds and those who don't take care of their flocks. And I, I think this should be something as well we keep in mind. Mm-hmm. So the first reading from yesterday, um, it's from the book of the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 34. Um, and it starts out, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. In these words prophesy to them, to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been pasturing themselves. Should not shepherds rather pasture sheep? Um, And the reading, the prophet Ezekiel goes on for ten more verses, detailing exactly the crimes of the shepherds, um, the religious leaders of the people of Israel against the people of Israel. And at the end of it, um, the prophet Ezekiel, or the Lord speaking to the prophet Ezekiel says, I myself will pasture my sheep, I myself will be their shepherd. Um, and so this isn't to make light of this horrible 
scandal. But this last verse of the prophet Ezekiel gives us a, a sense of hope. The psalm for yesterday was Psalm 23, the very well-known, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, God promises to continue to lead his people, even though the shepherds who were appointed for shepherding the people have failed. Honestly, it's really difficult because, Jerk, as you just said, the priests of our church have the, the, the shepherds of our community, those who've been appointed and anointed to help lead the body of Christ to heaven, to holiness, have failed utterly and completely in a lot of ways. So... We're talking about righteous anger, that we have every right and really should be angry over this. If there's anything to be have righteous anger about, this is the time. And I think that there are like venerable examples in the history of the church of anger at things like this. This isn't, as much as some people would like to consider it, this isn't a new problem in the history of the church. Um, there are multiple saints from all different times of the church who have spoken specifically regarding priests who are accused um, of sexual abuse. Um, St. Basil the Great, he was a doctor of the church working in the 4th century, um, and he described exactly how he thought the church should deal with clerics um, who were accused and found guilty of sexual abuse. And he writes, quote, Any cleric or monk who seduces young men or boys, or who is apprehended in kissing or in any shameful situation, shall be publicly flogged and lose his clerical tonsure. Thus shorn, he shall be disgraced by spitting in his face, bound in iron chains, wasted by six months of close confinement, and for three days each week put on barley bread given him toward evening. Following this period, he shall spend a further six months living in a small segregated courtyard in custody of a spiritual elder, kept busy with manual labor and prayer, subjected to vigils and prayers, forced to walk at all times in the company of two spiritual brothers, never again allowed to associate with young men. Um, so this was again in the 4th century. In the 11th century, St. Peter Damien writes a letter to Pope Leo IX, which demands reform, and he writes to the Pope, um, Listen, you do-nothing superiors of clerics and priests. Listen, even though you feel sure of yourselves. Tremble at the thought that you are partners in the guilt of others. Those, I mean, who wink at the sins of their subjects that need correction, and who by ill-considered silence allow them license to sin. Listen, I say, and to be shrewd enough to understand that all of you alike are deserving of death. That is, not only those who do such things, but also they who approve those who practice them. And I think that last line from St. Peter Damien really hits at the issue. Because what you have in the clerical abuse scandal is not just priests who are abusing seminarians and who are abusing altar boys, um, who are covering it themselves, but you have massive structural networks of priests who know things and are silent. Cardinal like after Cardinal McCarrick, after all these allegations were discovered against Cardinal McCarrick, it became known that there were priests and bishops, some dead, some still alive, who knew very well what was going on with Cardinal McCarrick and said nothing to anybody except each other who they knew knew. They kept this secret very tightly. But it wasn't just the cardinal. There were huge networks of priests who kept this silent.
so with all that in mind, we're talking talking about righteous anger, talking about our justifiable response to these allegations. And as Jarek was mentioning, the incredibly strong responses from the church and saints throughout history. I think the question before us is, what do we do? What do we, as a laity, as a body of Christ, as a community of faith, what do we do now that these allegations have been revealed or thrust back into the public eye, I suppose, that never Mm. really went away from 2002? Yeah. And I think, so Pope Francis recently wrote a letter um, to the entire people of God. Um, and he, he titles it, A Letter to the Entire People of God, where he says he calls for the church to go through intense periods of prayer and fasting um, for the forgiveness of sins and for the sake of the entire church. And actually a lot of people, especially people in the secular media, have been critical of this. Because their response, which is reasonable to a degree, is... This is a problem for the clerics. Why then is Pope Francis writing a letter to the entire church, including billions of lay people who have nothing to do with this, telling them to make reparations? That's kind of funny because, like, I can that that response from a secular media is understandable. It's like you want it's just like this is the this is the hierarchy's fault. But like as a, I feel like that's a very any lay Catholic, that should also, if there be a spiritual instinct, they have. Mm. Just because... This, it, I mean, we should it, clarify, it is the hierarchy's fault. Well, yeah. it is. No <laughs> full stop, no questions asked. <laughs> yeah, that I don't mean That needs to be emphasized very strongly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but right. if, if my words... It, it, yeah, if I chose my words poorly, yes, that's not what I mean at all. Um, but I feel like a well-formed Catholic response would be, like... Yes, it's the hierarchy's fault, but it's all of our church. And any any time you see any kind of tragedy, like and like at like at nine eleven, a response was prayer and fasting, and the cat like yeah. yeah, like a response to tragedy and people and sinful acts is prayer and fasting, whether mm-hmm. they're your own or whether they're something else. Like that's a lot of the wrong time to mention it, but like that's a lot of what cloister religions do with mm-hmm. their time. It's supposed to be prayer and fasting for the reparation of the sins of the world. Like yeah, the lay are supposed to be are supposed to be doing these acts as well. Right, right. And I, I think the temptation is to say, or at least the, the reason behind some of the frustration of the Pope's response, or the Pope's... Uh, order's not the right word, but the, but the Pope's call to all Catholics to pray and fast. I think, I think some of the hesitancy of that response is, well, especially for Catholics, aren't we sort of in the best position to advocate and push on the ground because we are in the church, so we are the best positioned to try and affect real change. But I think we have to keep in mind that these things aren't mutually exclusive, that mm. prayer and fasting, Christ says in the gospel, some demons can only be driven out by prayer and fasting, and you bet your life there are demons in the church right now. Mm. Oh, for sure. And that's one of the things... Um, I think that just kind of brings us back to and emphasizes the reality of the mystical body of Christ. First off, I mean, it's one of the reasons why we should be enraged about this, you know? Um, All people in the church are united together through the body of Christ, right? And people within that body, that, that 
communion, decided to do heinous things, abuse little kids and then and adults abuse other people and then systematically cover it up. I mean, that's using their role of authority from this mystical body of Christ and exploiting that um, to cover up these heinous crimes. We should be enraged. That's, a, that's an insult to all of us, you know? But at that same token, the reason why we should be so angry is the reason why we should be penitential, right? Because it does affect all of us. You know, it's as intimately connected to all of us as our, as our feet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As the feet are to the rest of the body. And I, th- and I think, like, the image of the church as the body of Christ is really, really helpful. It's a, it's a helpful analogy for explaining sort of why the Pope's response was what it was. I mean, if we think biologically, if some, some part of the body is infected, it's not like the rest of our body says, oh, arm, you deal with the problem. No, the entire body fights back. We don't need back. you. Like... No, exactly. It's the entire body fights back against the infection in a singular part um, without, like, you know, regard to fault, not just because the body can't, you know, one part of the body can't blame another part of the right. it, That's where the analogy sort of, like, begins mm-hmm. to break down. But the point is, the entire body fights against the infection or error or injury of a single part. And that is especially true when the sickness is in the heart of the church like this. It is in the priesthood. Yeah. Because the, because the nature of the priesthood consecrates a man's soul and makes it able to act and serve in the person of Christ himself. And abusing that and desecrating that position. That is a sickness the church needs to recover from. Mm-hmm. And that is a sickness we all need to be working on yeah. healing and driving out because it really, the priesthood is the heart of the church. It is our connection to the sacraments. Right. And we're not only a civic body of Christ, like, a, like the Elks Club or something, you know. Not that they're the body of Christ, but they're pretty cool. Um, we're not only a civic club or group, we are a spiritual union. And that's something which I think can be very easily obscured um, in the way church is used by the culture at large and, and by us, you know? It's somewhere we go on Sundays. It's not part of who we are. Well, it is. It is part of who we are. On the deepest level, you know? Yes. And so we've talked about the need for prayer and fasting as a foundation for anything and everything else we do to combat this problem. And that's important. But as we're saying, it needs to be a foundation for everything else we do to combat this Mm -hmm. problem. So in that vein, I want to start off by asking, what do you all think of suggestions or calls for the American bishops to offer resignations in mass, similar to what Argentina did, because uh, for Chile. those of you, oh, sorry, Chile, thank you. For, the, for those who don't know, there was a similar scandal a couple years back, several years back at this point, um, in Chile, and the bishops, as a sign of penance as a, and as a recognition of their own complicity. A few months it, ago, they all just like mass resigned. Yeah, and uh, well, they offered their resignations. the The Pope only accepted, I believe, six of those forty or fifty resignations. But the point is, they all as an act of public penance and recognition of their complicity in what went on, took accountability by essentially offering to step down. Mm. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on something similar in the American hierarchy. Here's the thing. 
Public penance is fantastic, but it needs to be backed up by a spiritual renewal. Um, if you go back to the quote that uh, that Jarek read from St. Basil the Great, yes, they publicly shamed and flogged and and shaved the, the uh, clerical predators back in the day, but they also put them to the task of over a year of intense physical and spiritual exercise of constantly coming back and face to back face to face with this sin. Um, if you go back to the quote, it says that he has six months in close confinement, then six months in a small segregated courtyard in custody of a spiritual elder, like a spiritual director, almost someone who's very wise very spiritually rich to keep watch over this person and not only to it's not just a thing of penitence but you know to force a conversion to not to force a conversion that's bad language but to bring about their conversion to help them see the wrong of their ways and then the offending priest is forced to walk in the company of two spiritual brothers at all times again very wise learned priests who would help him pray and keep him away from temptation. It's very much like in the act of contrition, you know. Um, oh, I forget it, so I'll go with the Our Father instead. Lead us not into temptation, right? They focused on that intensely. It, was, it seemed like it was an intense spiritual project for the rest of the offending priest's life, you know? And if the public penance and the resignation is not backed up by that, I don't want it. Because that cancer, the spiritual cancer is still there. And there's a sense in which I think it's reasonable for people to say, these priests have done these horrible deeds, like, let them go to prison, let them rot in jail, or, you know, just, like, leave them to their own devices. But I think that it's times like this where we do have to look back to Christ's call to love our enemies. And that, like, and there's a sense in which people who so deeply betrayed the trust of the people whom they were set to guard do become a special kind of enemy. Um, and love our enemy doesn't mean like, be soft on them. Love our enemy doesn't mean just say, oh, it's okay, because that's not, I think, what our response should be at all. But love our enemy does mean have their best interests in mind, as well as asking them, forcing them to atone for what they've done. And what that means, I mean, I think the quote from St. Basil perfectly covers it at the end. It's having regard for their well-being, their spiritual development, and ultimately the fate of their soul. Absolutely, because the fate of their soul is very, very much at risk. And so mm. when we're praying and fasting, that needs to firstly be offered up, of course, for the victims, the many, many victims who have suffered. But then as well for the people who have let their souls fall to such evil. Um, but yeah, back to the question about the, Amer the resignation of the American bishops. I think there's a sense in which it would be very fitting, because there, there is a precedent. Um, but there's also a sense in which I think some bishops can do more good by fighting on the ground for institutional changes, calls to penance and prayer and fasting, um, by actively by actively fighting the problem. And I, there's a sense in which I think if we just had a mass resignation of bishops, it would let those who resign, to a sense, to a degree, off the hook, because they're no longer in an active administrative position. 
Um, and I think if we call for every American bishop to resign, yes, there are plenty of bishops who would resign who probably should resign, but at the same time, there'd be plenty of bishops who shouldn't resign and could do more good on the ground as an administrator and as a shepherd who would sort of be shamed into resigning because of this mass call for resignation. So I think it's a very complicated question that, honestly, I don't really know how to answer. I mean, practically speaking, even if you, even if that were to happen, which I mean, I think is probably extremely unlikely, mm-hmm. um, it's almost not quite the time, but as you were saying, there's a lot of them who are going to be doing a lot more good still doing their jobs and dealing with cleaning up this mess to the extent possible. Um, and does that then later tarnish the fact that they offered their resignation when this happened? Can, will that, can that, will that one later tarnish the good work that they do try and do? Mm-hmm. Because it's like it, people often object when the whole, like the whole class gets punished because there are some kids acting out now, like, Normally, I would object to a comparison between the U.S., the the United States bishops, and a class full of kindergartners. And this time, I don't know that might be a bad thing. In in this case, insulting to kindergartners. Yeah, I was gonna say in in this case, it's more insulting to the kindergartners than the bishops. Yeah. (sighs) There's a difference between a there's a there's an important difference there between being a kindergartner and not knowing what you should and you know a little little more innocent when you're a kindergartner, but. A pastoral shepherd who's just abandoned his flock. Yeah, like it's yeah. difficult to try and keep, and it's difficult to remember. It it can be difficult for some people to, a little bit for myself, trying to remember. Wait a minute, like, mm. like, somewhat. It's not. It wouldn't be an overreaction. Like I understand the penalty. I think the. I think it's a. I think it's symbolically a powerful penitential sign. But at mm. the same time, is it maybe? I think it might be too far because. It, it, it opens that avenue to like just blame it all and just I don't know. I feel mm-hmm. like I feel like it misses something there. I feel like it. What you were saying, it, it gives it takes a spotlight off where which particular bishops might really have played a large role in this, mm-hmm. and which particular and bishops it, it, can like, play a role in fixing the problem yeah, as well. Yeah. It's like there's not. A... <laughs> yeah, and speaking of bishops playing a role in fixing the problem. I think something that needs to be a part of this conversation that we're having as a church and as an American Catholic community that hasn't been as much as it needs to be is the state of many of our seminaries and the possibility mm. that some seminaries will need to be shut down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because in the aftermath, and even leading up to these allegations, um, there are a number of seminarians and former seminarians who have publicly shared their stories. And this, I want to, of course, discount this by saying this is not true of every seminary in the Americas. We have good friends who are in good seminaries. Mm-hmm. Yes. But yes. there are a number of places of priestly formation in this country that have become hotbeds of abuse. So, frankly speaking, abuse of seminarians by other seminarians, by supervisors, by and directors of the seminary yeah. or by vocations directors. Yeah. Like, there are systematic structures in seminaries which are worsening and concealing this problem, both from the public at large and from the church, the laity of the church. It, it, at least from my perspective, it seems that, that that sort of thing could easily be fueling this problem. Oh, yeah. By, oh, ra- by raising priests, raising men to the priesthood who see it as okay to abuse others they have power over. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's something that 
obviously we have, as lay people, don't have control over that sort of thing, but the bishops do. And if bishops are going to sacrifice their careers one way or another, I would much rather them, to build off both of your points, I would much rather bishops try to sacrifice their careers shutting down bad seminaries than that, that are part of the problem here than just as a show of public penitence. Yeah, it's it's important for all of us to remember that this is, as much as it is a problem for individual priests, and I'm not letting individual priests or bishops off the hook at all, as much as it is, as it is a problem for individual priests, it is worsened and, in, like, to a large degree, created by the systematic problems which exist in seminaries, in dioceses, in religious orders, what have you. And so there's more, there's more about it than just seeing a priest and you know, blaming the priests and having allegations and having them be defrocked and sent to prison or whatever the case may be. That is necessary, but it's not at all sufficient. Absolutely. On both counts of being absolutely necessary and not at all the only step that can be taken. So, of course, we've been talking about the the priests and the bishops an awful lot right now. Um, But earlier, we were speaking about the body of Christ and, like, the spiritual union and how, like, the the sins of the hierarchy will affect the whole body. Um, so how does a, how does an idea, what can this moment say about a tendency like clericalism in the church? Mm. Like what can, because practically speaking, we can say, oh, this should happen, oh, that should happen. And I mean, like we're 19, 20, 21 years old and, yeah. and, a, lot of, and a lot of other very good um, lay, faithful, more Catholics, Catholics, lay Catholics more in a position to actually do something, will be saying similar things. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, like, lay Catholics aren't the ones with the power to make any of these decisions. Yeah. So. And I, there's a sense in which, there's a sense in which we have to understand clericalism, not just from the point of view of the clerics as taking authority and taking power, but also, like, there's a degree to which I think a lot of laity are comfortable with clericalism because it lets us off the hook. Um, it doesn't ask us to wrestle with a very difficult problem of what to do. Um, and there is a capacity in which priests do have a special privileged position as shepherds of the flock of God as, and bishops as successors of the apostles. If the, bishops and she- if the bishops and priests of the Catholic Church weren't so privileged, I mean, that just makes the scandal even worse. Um, and so it, it's... Yeah, it's a, it's a complicated question about lay governance of the church and how lay persons could or should be incorporated into the governance of particular parishes or on like pastoral councils and dioceses and in Rome. And it, it, I, I guess it just goes back to the whole issue of a the systematic abuse that's been going on because non-Catholic priest peoples have abused children before, have sexually abused other people. That's not something that is, like, an inherent pitfall to becoming a Catholic priest, you know? Mm-hmm. Actually, that, that is worthy to keep in mind, that the allegations are horrible and need to be dealt with as severely as we've been discussing, but there is cause for hope for the future. Insofar as... The allegations and the the there's a, a sort of a bell curve of when these a thousand reported cases occurred, and the most recent so the most recent tail end of that curve was in 2002, 
meaning that the fewest allegations were happening in the period from 2002, when there was a big thing with the Archdiocese of Boston right. um, about clerical abuse. And after then, there were a lot of like safeguards that a lot of seminaries and a lot of dioceses put in place so that this wouldn't continue happening. And it seems, at least from the report, that those weren't ineffective. Yes, so, so in other words, do not downplay the horror of this report at all, but there is hope that the reforms put in place decades ago are starting to have an effect. And that, of course, does not absolve us or the hierarchy now from any responsibility of acting to further resolve this issue. But going forward, there is cause for hope. And I think there's another cause for hope in a more personal sense, in the sense of, like, there are good priests and there are good bishops. Um, Just like Maria said, you know, being... A sexual predator is not something particular to priests, nor is it something that's shared by all priests. There are good priests and there are good bishops, and I think one of the best things that we can do as lay Catholics is to pray for the good priests and for the good bishops, both to continue to be good in their ministry and to be able to prevail over the network of sin and the network of abuse, which is very public right now. Absolutely. That's actually, that's excellent. I had not thought of that since this happened. But, you know. I am going, I work at a Catholic high school. I'm going to thank our priest tomorrow for being a good guy. Now yeah. is the time, too, because as there's a lot of anger out there. There's a lot of righteous anger out there, but a, a lot of that anger is yeah. being directed at good men who have done nothing wrong. Like local parish priests who have spent their whole life helping people strive for holiness. And the vast, vast majority of Catholic priests are like that. So right now is a much, as difficult as this time is for us as lay Catholics, you have to imagine it's so much more difficult for good priests, good young priests who are having to struggle with the new burdens and perceptions upon them. And particularly insofar as they know they can't, consider themselves victims in all this. They they mm-hmm. that they just have to essentially bear it and offer it up. So now more than ever, we need to support good holy priests. Yeah. Um, I think I actually mentioned it on a production for this channel once before. Um, but, and it's nothing you two haven't just said, but just think about all of the pastoral. Just take a moment. And try, like I don't know how to run through a daily the, the day of a priest. Um, I wish we had one here so we could like walk mm. through all the pastoral work they do in a day, and then think about in a year and or, and then in in a decade. And there was people at some of the most joyous occasions of their life, and they also can go and say a funeral an hour after that, and they can. Oh, and it's just so many. I can't say it clearly anymore, but the point I made a long time ago for this channel was that a lot of their work can be walking, has been, and will continue to be, actually mm-hmm. being support for the most direct and most immediate victims in these situations with the seminarians and, and all the, the, the thousand, paces, thousand cases in Pennsylvania, and gosh knows how many more where else. But it's just, I don't know, it's just so striking to think that the good priests in this situation and, and going on. 
they have to both not see themselves as the victims Aiden just said and also like they're there to be supporting the people who are hurt like mm-hmm. in in feeling victimized because in the understandable like oh no now all the priests are looked at as terrible they have to also be supporting like the the righteously angry lady and the hurt lady like yeah. they're like the good priests are trying to hold together both halves of this equation now and that's just a really strange burden to think about i hadn't done that either i should yeah. go think of a whole bunch of the priests we see around campus yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes yeah, so that's probably a good takeaway for everybody to pray and fast Support good priests and call out those who are absolutely not and on all levels. Yeah. Pray for everybody. Pray for the victims. Pray for the priests. Pray for good priests. Um, pray for the universal church. And maybe most importantly, pray for those who are perpetrating these actions, who have in the past, who are at present, and who will probably continue to, sadly, in the future. And so in that vein, we will conclude with the prayer of St. Thomas Aquinas. Grant us, O Lord, minds to know you, hearts to seek you, wisdom to find you, conduct pleasing to you, faithful perseverance in waiting for you, and a hope of finally embracing you. And, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our safeguard against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the other evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen.